dynamic technology, unlike the competency models we did two decades ago, are changing all the time. Every day, a new skill is being created or invented or defined because new tool, a new technology, a new algorithm, a new science is, enters the domain. So if you're a, a biomedical engineering company or an oil company or a healthcare company, you got to keep up with all these new things that are going on and get that data into your company and determine who could possibly have these skills and how do we develop them if we need them. So there's all these new things we can do with this that we never could do before. So I think we're at the beginning of just a whole bunch of really important things that are going to make organizations more effective. That was the founder and CEO of the Josh Burson Company and author of the recently released book, Irresistible, Josh Burson. And this was a really fun episode. Every time I talk with Josh, it's a fun conversation because it's always enlightening and educational. And this conversation was no exception. We cover a lot of ground from HR trends for 2023, from his recent 2023 HR report, what people sustainability is and what that means for the field, how to interpret layoffs in technology and outside, AI, his book Irresistible, and a lot more. So sit down, grab a nice cup of coffee, and get ready for this great discussion with Josh. The Redefining Work podcast is sponsored by my company, Amplify. Amplify connects, develops, and empowers the next generation of transformative people leaders through HR Executive Search and the Amplify Academy Learning and Leadership Development Platform. Our Executive Search practice brings a modern approach to Executive Search by transparent pricing, unique access to emerging and established leaders, and onboarding advisory. Our Amplify Academy is changing how HR practitioners and leaders develop their careers through peer communities, the AI Learning Lab, and leadership development cohorts. Together, these platforms support our mission of building a better world of work by elevating the field of HR. You can learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Redefining Work podcast. Today, I am joined by Josh Burson. Josh is a name I likely don't need to introduce you to, but just in case, he is the author of Irresistible, his latest book. We're going to spend some time on that. And he's also the founder and CEO of the Josh Burson Company, longtime contributor to the HR space um, and repeat guest on the podcast. So great to have him back. And Josh, I feel like it's a different world now than when we recorded our last podcast. I think of the early days of the pandemic. So a lot has gone on. Let's just start off with like, how have you been? How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I mean, I feel like for me as, as sort of an analyst, there's an endless number of new things to think about. So, you know, I think being an HR person is more interesting, more fascinating and more confusing than it's ever been. <laughs> I think that's right. It's interesting, too, because I think, you know, you and I have somewhat uh, unique lenses on the field because we're not in practitioner seats, but we cover it through a range of different platforms. And so have this really interesting front row seat to the evolution, um, perhaps disconnected from some of the pain and realities that people practicing in the field face today. So um, let's kick things off with there's a lot for us to cover, but uh, your recent report on HR trends for 2023. There were so many things in there that resonated, and I think are front of mind of, of most practitioners from skills development, uh, the tension between employee experience and hybrid work, 
um, and so much more. But you did bring forth one point that uh, was a fairly new concept, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And that was people sustainability. Um, and I'd love to just turn that over to you to just kind of get your context on like how you arrived on that. What does it mean? How does it impact the field? I'm glad you asked that, Lars, because it's, it's a pretty important new idea. So about a year or longer ago, um, a company came to me and said, you know, we're, we're practicing this new discipline called people sustainability. And that was around the time that everybody was kind of fed up with these sustainability indexes and the ESG funds and everything. And I was thinking, this is never going to fly. And then I dug into it and I found out that actually it's a big deal. And the idea is, it really is coming out of Europe. The idea is a lot of the things we do in HR, diversity, inclusion, pay equity, employee experience, engagement, benefits, are we, we, we look at them as, as improvements to the employee um, work-life balance or the employee value proposition at work. But there's another way to think about them is they're really organizational sustainability strategies. Because if we're in a world where um, there aren't enough people, there aren't enough talent, there isn't enough talent, there isn't enough leadership, there isn't enough skills, and we potentially have lawsuits or harassment claims or other um, risks, the people part of the business is part of the company's sustainability. Just like electricity and facilities and IT, people are part of that. And so um, I was actually talking to some companies in Europe, and one of the companies I was talking to is Heineken, which is a privately held, family-held company, billion, multi-billion dollar company. And they said what was happening at Heineken was um, their distributors in Africa had created a marketing program for young uh, women to go into bars wearing short skirts and promote Heineken beer, and they were getting raped and harassed, and, the, and Heineken's brand was getting destroyed in the press because this was going on. And the CEO said, well, if this is going on in Africa, how many other countries is this going on? And we need to figure out what this is and we need to put a stop to it. And so um, he hired somebody to deal with these issues of, at the time, human rights. They call it human rights. And, and this particular executive looked at what was going on in HR and he said, there's a bigger story here than just taking care of people. This is a corporate issue. Well, at the same time he was doing that, the um, EU passed a law that takes place in 2024 that all companies that do more than $150 million of business in the EU are going to have to fulfill sustainability guidelines. You know, it's environmental sustainability and carbon footprint and so forth. But one of the guidelines is people sustainability. So there's a whole set of metrics that companies are going to have to deliver on. So when I was interviewing this executive, he said, you know, once we looked at those metrics, we realized we don't have any of this data. We're not even measuring this stuff. Right. So, so I think this is a big concept that will allow a lot of these things we invest in in HR that have varying levels of adoption to, to really be C-level issues. So that's really the high-level story. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating. And I think uh, especially for something like that, where you're now by regulation required to approach something that has no data to, to showcase where you even are on that spectrum, uh, you know, a, a lot of work ahead, I think, for us to be able to to meet that. But I also appreciate that the connection to the corporate goals uh, as well, that we're actually having to, you know, look at the people from a different lens. Well, and, and, and the other aspect to it that I just want to throw in there is, you know, if, if you're trying to grow your company in a, in a sort of a mixed economy like we're in now and you can't hire people and you have skill shortages, 
your you know, end-to-end pipeline of talent is a sustainability issue for your company. It isn't just an HR problem. Yeah. So, so a lot of things are going to fall into that concept. So I, I think it's going to pick up speed a lot. I like it. We'll definitely keep an eye on that and appreciate you uh, servicing that idea for us. Um, you hit, you talked about kind of the mixed economy that we're in right now and obviously, you know, closed 2022, uh, with lots of layoff announcements, especially in tech entering 2023, that ball is rolling. Um, but I think, you know, you've had some great reporting just about kind of contextualizing the broader economy and, and maybe looking at some of the issues that are happening in tech with overhiring and perhaps poor talent management strategies and approaches, um, causing, you know, many of the companies to become a bit bloated and obviously having to make reductions now. I'd love to get your perspective, like for, for viewers who are, you know, they have friends who are being laid off, they're scrolling their LinkedIn feed and just seeing announcement after announcement of, you know, open to work, uh, avatars and so much more like, well, what is your kind of overall macro take on, on the economy and the layoffs that we've been seeing recently. Okay, so there's a couple of things that are going on. And for those of you that are laid off, I'll talk about that at the end. So for roughly 15 years, going back to 2008, we've had almost zero interest rates. And those people my age thought it was strange, but young people didn't realize that this is not normal. So we had um, unlimited access to capital to buy crypto, to buy stocks, to buy houses. So all these assets went up in price. The venture capitalists said, well, if the stock market's going up, I'm gonna invest in more companies. I'm gonna invest in more startups. So entrepreneurs built companies, tech companies went nuts, and everybody hired and hired and hired with the expectation that you can hire more people and those people will grow the business. And that there's unlimited demand because there's unlimited consumer demand in the market. Well, of course, then we end up with inflation. Then we end up with supply chain problems. The Fed starts to tighten that money supply. We go back to a more of a normal economy. And all of a sudden, all this demand isn't there. And we've overhired all these people. And as I wrote about in the article on hiring, I've worked for two really fast-growing companies. It's really easy for CEOs to get sort of intoxicated by this growth and just hire and hire and hire and not think about it. And all of a sudden they look around like, where'd all these people come from and how come they're not getting enough stuff done and how come our revenue's not keeping up? And that's what happened. Um, now, you know, and I think some of the, you know, executives that run the tech companies, you know, are relatively young. They haven't been through one of these cycles before and they weren't expecting it. Maybe they never thought it would happen. And now we have adjustments. I think salaries went too high. I mean, just there were all sorts of excessive things that happened. Now, for people that are laid off, I've been laid off. I know what it's like. It's psychologically really just shattering, regardless of how confident you are in your career. It's really no fun. It feels like it's personal, which it kind of isn't, but it kind of is. And, you know, and I think for most tech people, there are still a lot of jobs. And I think what's going on in the tech skills market is a lot of the tech people who worked for tech companies can now go work for non-tech companies. You know, I have a really good friend that just went to work for Ford to do all the digital stuff over at Ford. And he says, it's a blast. They need tech people too. Healthcare companies need tech people. Retailers need tech people. So, so if you're a technical person and you've been laid off, I don't think you're gonna have a terrible time finding another job. And maybe you don't wanna work for a fast growing company again. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. I, I think that we will start to see more of that where some people who, you know, traditionally have been, you know, move from one tech company to the next, 
they might start to question the stability in tech and move to maybe more traditional industries where they can flourish. Um, so I think it'll be fascinating to see kind of over the next 12 to 18 months, the cross pollinization of skills, perhaps from tech moving into more traditional industries uh, as employees maybe want to try something different um, and see how that plays out over time. You know, I'd love to get your perspective. You, you mentioned kind of over hiring young CEOs, maybe had to experience this economy. What advice do you have for chief people officers and CHROs who are maybe in that seat when that company is on a fast growth trajectory and they have a CEO who's just growth at all costs um, and who wants to help kind of reel that in a, a little bit? Any any thoughts on like how best to have that conversation? You know, I, I don't blame CHROs for the issues that happened during the, the boom, but I think if you're senior enough and you feel confident, you need to push back and look at the productivity growth of the organization as a whole, not just the headcount. I think what happens, and this is what I wrote about, in most of these big, fast-growing companies, as the headcount goes up at an exorbitantly fast rate, the productivity goes down. People aren't getting onboarded, nobody knows what to do, there's a whole bunch of new people, all the senior people are you know, too busy bringing up the new people then to do their jobs. And so I think what we can do in HR is we can counsel the CFO and the CEO and say, you know what, I think we can hit those growth targets by better training, by moving some people around, by developing some leaders, by doing a reorg, by creating better accountability, by fixing the performance process. All these, we have all these knobs that we can turn in HR that are basically business performance knobs that the CEO may not be thinking about when he or she says, just get me another hundred people. So, so I think that's the lesson is, um, you know, you do have a seat at the table now in HR. I mean, during the pandemic, most CHROs were right in the middle of all the business survivability issues. And now we can use that um, credential and that credibility to, you know, help the, 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 best, the rest of the company plan the next level of growth without overhiring. And, and I think, these issues of productivity and org design and things are really difficult topics for non-HR people. But if you roll up your sleeves and get into them, you'll find out they have a big impact on, on the company's success. Yeah. You know, and I appreciate that you just, you know, dropped a half dozen specific <laughs> things, right. That we can do. And yeah, but you're right. There's also an education piece, right? Because I think that we, we don't always, um, you know, advocate for a function in a way that connects it to the business in a very clear and concise way. And so, uh, you know, I think there are some CPOs and CHROs that are masterful at that, but there are many others, especially earlier in their career, that's a skill that you kind of develop by doing. And hopefully, you know, you have great mentors and they can help you build. Yeah, and I think, you know, one part of it, Lars, is I was just talking to a CHRO yesterday. Um, you want to be a good partner to the CEO, but you don't want to be an errand boy. You want to push back every now and then. I mean, the reason you have a C-level title or a chief people officer title is you're supposed to know what to do. So I think every now and then it's okay to question a decision or a strategy that might feel odd and, you know, throw your two bits in there. And I think during the growth cycle, basically all these tech CHROs did was hire recruiters. They just recruit, 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 recruit. And then all these other issues just were ignored or maybe put aside for a while. And now we're learning that they're all pretty important too. Yeah. Hey, look, I think this, the CHRO and you're right, you know, you, your role, if you have an effective relationship with your CEO is to be the truth teller. 
And, and that isn't always a popularity game. There are some times when you have to protect the CEO from themselves and, and they, you know, they may just be, you know, completely have tunnel vision towards a specific, uh, you know, goal or objective. And, and, you know, from experience, that's not the right one. So being able to call that, uh, bring the data, bring, bring an alternative approach. Right. So it's not just like, that's not the right approach. It's well, there's another, and there's another aspect to that. I just want to mention on that topic. I mean, cause we just finished a big project with a company that's a big product software products company. And they basically have all these different software products that they sell very successfully into different markets. And now the customers are saying, we want all these things to work together. And the company is set up into product divisions that don't really talk to each other. So there's a lot of organizational issues of how they integrate these groups and create a more common vision of the customer needs and so forth. And um, what, the, what we helped the CHRO go back to the CEO and talk about was, you know, there's a systemic solution to this. This isn't holding this guy accountable, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and firing this guy and firing that guy. It's really, you know, getting everybody to think about this new business model that we're in. And I think that's a lot of what you have in HR, is if you think about all the data you have, you know who's hiring, who's not hiring, where there's retention problems, where we have management gaps. You actually have a lot of sensing of the whole company as a system that the CEO or any operational leader may not have. And I think that sensing of the system and thinking systemically is a lot of what organizations need. And that, that's a lot of what our new HR operating model research is about, is explaining how to do that. Yeah, well, I, 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 we could spend a ton of time here, but there's a lot of things I want to cover with you. So I want to jump from here for a moment to uh, AI, which is I know a topic uh, you recently covered on your podcast. And I think, you know, it's interesting. We, we were probably four or five years ago, we were in a pretty, our first wave of maybe the AI hype bubble or felt like it was everywhere, especially in HR tech. Was it really? I, I don't think so. But I think everybody talked about it. It was it was very buzzy. Uh, and then that faded a little bit. Um, but now I think we're starting to see more this new emergence of AI as it relates to consumer grade AI tools with ChatGPT and, you know, Bing's new operating model and uh, Google's uh, new platform that isn't out yet. But I know you've had a chance to get your hands on it. I'd love to get your perspective because I think, you know, I'm I'm very bullish on the potential of these new tools to be a tool for HR, not for everything, but for certain aspects of what we do. Um, but I think it's also, you know, going to make it very difficult, especially the AI content creation tools that we're going to be flooded with mediocre content. And, you know, you even touched on this, like the, the idea of being the, the, the reason reviewing Google search rankings, you kind of know like, Hey, that's a paid ad. I'm going to move down to the more credible sources. That's going to get a lot harder with platforms like this being the front end of our searches. And so I'd love to just get your perspective and take kind of on the, the AI model right now, specifically as it relates to chat GPT and some of these new tools coming out. Well, these chat um, large language model systems are really miraculous. I mean, nobody would have dreamed that they could be so lifelike because they don't have any intelligence at all. All they're doing is pattern matching. They're just looking at this word goes with this word, this phrase goes with this phrase, and they have the statistics so well figured out that they speak to you in beautiful English. Um, but it is, it is a garbage in, garbage out kind of a system. And in the corporate, in the, in the consumer world, what we see is unfortunately going to be an advertising driven model. So they're going to have to figure out with Bing or, or Google, um, you know, Bard, how do we put 
advertising content in there without alienating or lying to people about what the truth is. I don't know how they're going to do that. I, 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 but for us in HR, this is a massive opportunity. Imagine in the training industry where I spend a lot of time, you take a corpus of training knowledge, you take a corpus of compliance knowledge, you take a bunch of benefits administration information, payroll information, you point this thing at it, and you have an intelligent chatbot now that, that employees can talk to. I think it could revolutionize the user interface to HR tech. I mean, almost every piece of HR tech that I know of could end up turning into a chat front end if that data can be you know, exposed. And also that's credible data. That's not like the public internet where there's a bunch of junk. Inside your company, you trust the data. So, so I think, to me, the enterprise implementation of these tools might be more interesting than the consumer one. And then the question of, of writing articles and listicles and all that, um, you know, that's gonna force the publishing industry and the communications people in the world to, to step it up a bit. Um, and, and there will be applications of that in HR too, for, for certainly for people like me that do a lot of writing. So I think it's gonna be miraculous. And I also think there are gonna be a lot of players. I mean, you know, Microsoft may have a great offering, um, you know, with OpenAI, but I, I would guess there'll be 20, 30, 40, 50 companies selling similar um, systems like this, because a lot of this, the code is open source. Um, and I think there'll be vertical spe specialties like, um, you know, a chatbot for oil and gas professionals, a chatbot for, you know, leadership development. I mean, almost all of the domains of, of education, training and compliance that I know of have very deep, you know, you know, amounts of content in them. And you're not going to get that from Bing. I mean, Bing's not going to source all that. So, so I just see massive opportunity here. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be exciting to watch it play out in, in the next couple of years. Like this isn't a five year, you know, six, seven year medium term horizon. This is this is happening now. And I think uh, I think you're right. The use cases when you can really kind of hone uh, the chatbot on a specific data set and a specific set of content, particularly for internal corporate uses, that's going to be huge. And then there's the also the whimsical fun aspect where you could say like, you know, write a job advert in the form right. of a sea shanty, right? And just like <laughs> have fun with it. Like, like That's maybe, a good idea. Yeah. Like an Why don't you try that, Lars? I'd like to see what drill. that looks like. <laughs> you know, you could, uh, the, the creativity is limited. What will be interesting though is you're right, because garbage in, garbage out is such a great point. The ability to write the right prompts to extract the right data and even refine that, right? Because it's not even a one-time search. It may be a one-time search. You get the data, then you have additional prompts that refine and contextualize the data uh, in, in a way. I think that will be a real art. And for I've already seen some people in HR who are dabbling with it and, and getting pretty clever with how they're creating prompts. And I think that's going to be a new skill that we'll start to see come out uh, in HR is like, how do we, how good are we, how effective are we at writing the prompts to get the right data from these systems? Um, you know, one other topic I want to cover from, uh, not just from your 2023 report, but I think certainly you're on top of all the trends that are happening right now and just the continued evolution towards the way we think about skills based hiring and development versus role based hiring development. And, and I'd love to get your perspective on where are we as a whole, as an industry now in that evolution, because we're, you know, we're certainly not at the beginning. We're definitely not at the end. I think some companies have embraced this more clearly, but I do think that if we get this piece right, especially on the hiring and internal development side, internal mobility, it's transformational because we're able to find connections, 
um, with talent and opportunities that the traditional resume job description, you know, looking for a fully baked match just doesn't do. And so I'd love to get your perspective just on where we are as an industry right now in skills. Well, I think it's, I think this is a decade of, of effort ahead in, in the skills based organization stuff. Um, the, the history of this, of course, is we hired people based on their academic degree, politics, who knew who, who we liked, who was a good interviewer, and we never really assessed their skills very well. And now everybody's pretty much decided that's not enough. We need to know their skills because our skills inside the company are changing so fast. If we can't find somebody who knows this particular skill, it doesn't matter how nice they are. So, um, and I think you're right. I think recruiting's gone the furthest so far. And we have pretty good technology that can assess skills and identify skills and source skills. And more and more companies are saying, yeah, we want to know if you went to college, but, that, but that's not really a criteria. We're not going to really that we're going to kind of discount that and we'll look at your uh, background either way. Um, internal mobility is the same way. The problem with internal mobility is a lot of companies don't have a culture of internal mobility. They don't have a way to pay people or uh, reward them for moving around as, as much, but that's beginning to pick up speed very, very fast. But there's a big um, sort of unsolved problem here, which is the infrastructure. And I think the skills tech and the skills taxonomies and the skills inference uh, tools that companies are using are still not there. So what I find in most of the bigger companies is they understand the concepts, um, but actually doing it at scale I've got a recruiting system with its own skills engine. I've got a talent mobility system with its own skills engine. I've got a learning system with its own skills engine. And then my ERP platform claims they have one. And then there's another one over here in the pay, pay system, by the way, because now we want to pay for skills too. We've got to get all that stuff to work together. So there's a lot of um, sort of HR tech um, you know, iterations going on as to what tools do we use and how do we integrate this together. Um, What's fascinating to me about the skills world, we, we do a lot of research on this because we have this big database with Eightfold that we use for our industry research now, is the skills dynamic technology, unlike the competency models we did two decades ago, are changing all the time. Every day, a new skill is being created or invented or defined because new tool, a new technology, a new algorithm, a new science is, enters the domain. So if you're a, a biomedical engineering company or an oil company or a healthcare company, you got to keep up with all these new things that are going on and get that data into your company and determine who could possibly have these skills and how do we develop them if we need them. So there's all these new things we can do with this that we never could do before. So I think we're at the beginning of just a whole bunch of really important things that are going to make organizations more effective. And getting back to my book for just one sec, I mean, the first chapter of the book is about decomposing the industrial hierarchy of companies into, you know, a more of a networked organization where people work on projects based on their expertise and their interests and their skills. That's happening now. So uh, if we don't have this skills infrastructure, it's hard to operate well like that. So, so I think it's going to be still some years of work ahead, but I think it's really, really, um, it's really happening in a real way right now. HR leaders today are under immense pressure to deliver results for the business, navigate new social and business climates, and build adaptable people programs built for these dynamic times. We're often asked to do more with less. 
The new world of work requires new ways to learn and develop our capabilities as HR and people practitioners. The Amplify Academy was built from the ground up to help people leaders efficiently and effectively connect with diverse learning needs for today and tomorrow. The Amplify Academy provides you with highly curated resources, exclusive content, courses, and a community designed to help people leaders effectively support your organization and each other. There are two components to the Amplify Academy, the Amplify Academy Learning Lab and Community and the Amplify Academy Leadership Development Cohorts. The Learning Lab and Community includes an AI learning platform that includes a range of courses, resources, templates, presentations, reports, and more to support the learning needs of today's HR and people practitioners. The Learning Lab subscriptions also include access to the Amplify Academy Slack community, a purpose-designed community to help you build your network equity and connect, collaborate, and grow your network with peers around the world. The Amplify Academy cohorts are four-week immersive peer learning programs designed to help you build the leadership skills and network you need to lead successful teams in the new world of work. Cohort students learn from world-class guest instructors with past instructors including Katie Burke, Katarina Berg, Lynn Oldham, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, Nellie Peshkoff, and so many more. Want to supercharge your people team? Be sure to check out the Academy for Teams product. It's designed to give your people teams access to all 450 plus resources in the Learning Lab and build their network equity in the Slack community, as well as their leadership ability in the Amplify Academy cohorts. You can learn more about all of this at amplifytalent.com academy. Now, back to the show. Well, let's talk about your book. Um, so Ir- Irresistible came out uh, late last year, I believe. Is that right? Q4? Uh, yeah, November, yeah. I think. And yeah. so um, I, you know, I enjoyed it. There's a couple sections I want to get into specifically, but I want to start with just the origin story, right? Like you, you've been an analyst for years. You've had, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of conversations, yeah. you know, podcast, uh, global talks around the world. Like at what point did this book become something that you knew you had to write? I did not want to write it. My <laughs> wife told me I was crazy for working on it. And I probably was because it took like six or seven years yeah. to write it because I kept trying to write it and, you know, this and that and the other thing happened. Um, but the origin of the book was long, long ago. I think it was around 2006 or 2007. I was trying to do research on employee engagement before I really knew much about it. And we hired an analyst who had worked at Conexa which was a, you guys probably never heard of the company, but they were a big engagement company. And she said to me, I don't need to do any research on employee engagement because I've already written a book on it and here it is, here's the model. And I said, well, that's great, but I'd still like to do some research on it. Let's go talk to some companies about what they're discovering. And what I realized is there's this very complicated set of talent management, HR, pay issues that contribute to what we used to call employee engagement. And I never liked the word employee engagement because it never seemed to really quite capture what we wanted to say. And now it's called employee experience. And so while I was doing all that and looking at Glassdoor, I said, you know what? I'll bet there's a correlation between these engagement or employee experience uh, metrics and financial metrics. And sure enough, there is. So I started digging into it. And then when I was at Deloitte, I had a couple of data scientists help me. And we did all this analysis of the Glassdoor database. 
and we built all these lists of companies that were outperforming. And I went back and I looked at them again, and many of these companies I knew a lot about because I had done research or talked to them. And I realized that these people practices that we're doing in HR are very strongly correlated with growth, profitability, and innovation. And that is why I wrote the book, is I wanted to write down in a form that either HR people or business people could read and say, you know, these HR things are not just for HR, they're really for you. And you need, and if you understand them, you're gonna be a better leader, manager, executive, supervisor. And then I had to package them into seven and I had to create a cute name for the book and all this other stuff. <laughs> but that's the history yeah, you know, of it. And then there's is lots. hard. I can, I can, I can appreciate it's it. It's really hard. It's really hard. I don't know how people write books every year. I, I, I mean, I just don't have the time. I, I, but. I don't either. I mean, six year investment. That is, uh, that is, that is, that is an investment. That's a lot of thought that went into it, but I'm glad you got it done. I'm glad you put it out because I do think it's a great resource to kind of understand what are some of the hallmarks of companies that are irresistible. And I'm curious, like if you had to, Paraphrase the book, and this is a very unfair question, yeah. but like, what are some of the key hallmarks for people who haven't yet read the book? What are some of the key kind of common traits you found in your research? Well, the number one uh, high level concept that I think underlies the book, and I learned this, you know, from the experience of doing this and the rest of my career, is that human is, is don't underestimate the spirit and the potential to grow of every single person in your company. So everything you do that puts somebody in a box, that prevents them from growing, that prevents them from working on a new project, that prevents them from moving to a new organization is holding your company back. And so if you can do the seven things in the book, which I'll talk about in a sec, I mean, your company will grow and it will adapt and it will survive and it will endure. And the reason I use the word enduring in the title is that some companies grow because they just hit the market at the right time. And maybe they're not great places to work and they don't take care of their people and they're actually kind of, you know, burnout companies, but they had a great product at the right time. And then as soon as something bad happens, they can't recover. So this is about um, the, the things that allow the people in your company to thrive in an aligned way, not, not in chaos, um, and then help your company continuously grow. It has to do with the organization structure, the role of managers and leaders, uh, the ability for people to move around and develop themselves, um, the, the, the importance of purpose and mission, and constantly reminding yourself, why are we here? What are we trying to do? Who's the real customer we're trying to serve? What is the real problem we're trying to solve? Not the revenue and the profit and the stock price, which is just a surrogate for that. Um, and then, you know, how do we take care of employees so they can be productive, not just feel good about their job and their paycheck, but actually be productive. And that's, those are you know, pretty big themes right now across all companies coming out of the pandemic right now. And so that's, that's what the book is about. But this fundamental idea that every company is a people company and every business problem is a people problem um, is, is maybe the big story in there. And then it talks about lots of examples about different companies have, have dealt with that. Well, I appreciate the examples too, because it helped kind of cement the points that I think you were making throughout the book with tangible examples uh, of where that was showing up. And, you know, in chapter two, you had an interesting kind of framing around the evolution of how we think about uh, jobs 
towards more broadly work. And, and it's, it, it hit a note with me because it's something I've been thinking a lot about, especially just the, how the world of work is evolving. And as we're building what we once called the future of work, and hopefully we've let go of the future concept now because it's here, like how, how that all these different kind of stakeholders are influencing the world of work and HR is a big part of it, but we're not the only part. And I think it also speaks to the, the mindset that so many employees have around what they expect from their, their, their work, their personal lives or professional lives, the separation or blending between them. So much has changed since the pandemic, I think, for a lot of employees and what they expect from work and what they, what they want to extract from work. I'd love to just get your take on that chapter and kind of that, that evolution towards zooming out towards a work focused. Well, um, you know, the, the history of the job title, the job level, the job description probably goes back to the 1800s. It actually goes back to slavery, by the way. Job descriptions were first developed in the 1700s during slavery. So the idea was that we're going to take a human being and we're going to fit them into this box. And the reason we have these boxes is because we as experts have decided that these are the jobs and we're going to scale the company by creating more and more and more of the same thing. And the people are replaceable in the jobs. And as we know, that's a ridiculous idea now, but that's the way a lot of HR practices, recruiting, a lot of things were developed. Because as you know, regardless of the job description, when you actually start the job, there's a bunch of things going on that weren't written down and new things come up and somebody's got to do the new stuff and it wasn't in the job description. And I don't think people are going to sit around and say, well, that's not in my job description. I'm not doing it. So, so there's this morphing away from what is your job to what is the work you're working on? What are the projects that need to be done? What are the things you're good at? And what do you want to do? Where do you, where do you want to spend your time? And, and flexible work was part of that. I think the work flexibility of location and time is, is more than that. It's also, you know, I don't want to work in growth marketing anymore. I want to work on digital marketing. Maybe somebody else can do the, run the SDR group. I want to work on the website. So can somebody else take the sales part of it and I'll do the marketing part of it, et cetera. And great companies um, have systems and cultural practices to allow that to happen where people work on more than one thing at a time. They lend their expertise to others. They, they help other people finish something that they maybe they're responsible for. And the goal system doesn't get in the way and the management system doesn't get in the way. Um, one of the quotes, I think it's in the book, by a company that's been working on this for years is W.L. Gore. And I know the, the woman who's quoted in there, they used to say, managers manage projects, people manage themselves. And the point that she was making is, you know, I don't need a manager to tell me what to do all day. If I know what the job or the goals are or the project are, let, let me figure out what I need to do and work with the rest of the team to balance the workload amongst us and we'll get the work done. And I learned this at Deloitte. That's what happens in professional services companies. Most people, there is no job description. It's just consultant. <laughs> right. um, I mean, there just isn't one. So uh, you do what needs to be done based on the project that you're affiliated with, and you work on projects that, of, that need your skills and your capabilities. And, and the world's not going to go 100% that way because there's all sorts of jobs, nurses and you know retail workers that just have to get done. I think the example, the, to me, one idea that, that was the beginning of this idea was something that came out called job crafting. And if you've read the book on job crafting, what it's about is the fact that 
The job becomes the person. The person doesn't become the job. Most people, when they take a job, turn it into something that it wasn't because they bring certain things, skills and capabilities and great ideas. And if you don't let that happen, uh, your company becomes just a big, you know, kind of place for people to come and go all the time. So, so that's really what that chapter is about, is, is drawing that out. I talk a lot about the Agile model, the Spotify model, some other things in there about how to do that. So that's become a big theme. And then, of course, AI, you throw AI in there and somebody says, well, you know, my job just changed today because now we have a tool that does something that I used to do. So now you need to do something that's better on top of that. So this is a very, very big topic in org design, in recruiting, in skills assessment and just in general in business. And, and I think so that it also it made me think as you were answering that in chapter three, you kind of talk about the role of a leader as a coach, you know, and kind of removing blockers and enabling for their team. And so I think if you haven't read the book, definitely get your hands on this. Where's the best place for viewers and listeners to find it? You can go to Amazon. You can go to most of those places. We have a website um, in our website where you can buy bulk copies. I actually wrote it. I mean, it's it's obviously a book and I think a lot of people will just read it, but it's a good book for your team to read and then talk about which of these chapters you want to work on as a group, because there's lots of how to's in there. And and at the end of each chapter, there's kind of a how to get started piece. So um, you can buy bulk copies or you can get it on any any, you know, distributor, book distributor. We'll definitely get your hands on that. Um, Josh, we're going to jump over the lightning round in a second where we kind of wrap up with some rapid fire questions to help the audience get to know you. But before we do that, I have one more question just to the topic that I know we're both passionate about, which is development within the HR community specifically. Um, and I'd love to get your take on just, you know, obviously we're in this world that is uh, ever changing, changing at a faster pace, new technologies, new uh, geopolitical circumstances, new societal circumstances that are changing the world of work. And I think our ability as practitioners to stay on top of trends, to stay on top of new developments, new technologies, to build peer communities uh, that allow us to kind of have sounding boards for different ideas is essential for longevity in this field. I don't think you can be a practitioner in this field uh, for the long haul if you aren't investing in yourself in that way. And I'd love to just get your take on, you know, the the importance of kind of self-development in the field of HR. Yeah, I mean, that's been a big crusade for me since I left Deloitte. Um, I mean, there's two things I would point out. One is you have to think about HR as a full stack career. So like if you're a business partner or a recruiter or a comp specialist or a DEI person, everything you do touches everything else. So all of the new HR domains, employee experience, even diversity, they touch each other all the time. Compensation, leadership, training, job mobility, et cetera, they're all connected. So, so we encourage HR people to learn about the adjacent domains and they will make you better at the specialty that you might be responsible for. Plus, they'll make you a better leader if you end up wanting to do that. Um, the second thing we found is that HR is, is more like a craft than it is a profession. You can take the SHRM certification and still not know how to do very much. You learn how to do HR by doing it. And so what we did in our academy is try to build an experiential learning experience so you learn from others what they have done and you learn how to experiment. And we built a, a capability assessment for companies and individuals 
to assess their capabilities in terms of how much experience they've had in these 80 or 90 different domains. I think this is a, you know, a big unsolved problem because when I go out and I talk to maybe CHROs or the head of talent management about an issue and I go through two or three hours and we try to explain something to them, all of a sudden the light bulbs go off and I'm thinking, what about the other 500 people in the company that probably need to get those light bulbs to go off? So, so given the rate of change of technology and culture and the economy that's going on in our job in HR, I think it's really important that HR people, you know, continuously educate themselves. It also gives you self-confidence because you don't want to go into a meeting and somebody says something and you're thinking, I don't even know what that is, so I'm not going to say anything. Right. I mean, it's... <laughs> Yeah, which definitely happens. I mean, I, I invited a, a recap piece uh, in Fast Company this year about kind of ways HR is changing in 2023. And I talk a little about self-development, but I, I, I frame it specifically as like, this is the time for HR to be selfish. And what I mean by being selfish is like being selfish and in investing in your own development and your own growth. Because every investment you make in yourself, whether it's, you know, communities you join, things you read, you know, memberships you, you, you know, uh, are get involved in that's leveling you up as an individual practitioner, but it's leveling up the impact you could bring to your business. So, so they're winning by you being selfish. So, you know, it's not just you being selfish in a vacuum for the sake of looking out for yourself. You're focused on growing your own skills and capabilities, and you're going to have a more positive impact on your team and your company by doing so. So don't be afraid to be selfish as it relates to your own development. In fact, it's kind of an imperative that you do so uh, to be sure that you can keep up with just all these things that are changing uh, around us. So um, Josh, I, I appreciate your perspective as I always do. Thanks for helping us uh, get our heads around some of these macro trends that are impacting the industry. Uh, jumping into lightning round, just a couple of questions to help the audience get to know you a little bit more. We start with music. Uh, what was your first concert? Oh my God. I'm taking you to the Wayback Machine. So, uh, you know. I can't even remember. It was probably the Three Stooges when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, I didn't, I was not a concert kind of guy. I didn't go to a lot of concerts. Okay. All right. So, what, okay. I'll, I'll rephrase that. What was uh, your most memorable concert about that? You know, believe it or not, the last concert I went to was the one I liked the most, and he just died. It was Burt Bacharach. Oh, wow. Yeah. It sounds just, it shows how old yeah. I am. I I still loved his music. My wife and I still listen to it. So that's that dates me, but that's maybe the, the one I remember right now. All right. Uh, we're going to shift from music to the screen. Uh, what was your latest uh, binge watch on TV? Um, God, I, I didn't prepare for this. <laughs> you know, I really love the uh, the the story about the the creature, the veterinarians in the UK. You know, the movie about the the creature. Oh, what's the name of it? You guys listening to this will know which movie it is. It's on Masterpiece. Yeah. It's about the veterinarians in the UK and the, the creatures. <laughs> Do you know the name of it? I, I, I can't I, remember. No, I, I don't. I know, but I'm very curious. I should have studied for yeah. these. I didn't look at these <laughs> questions. Um, that's the last thing I binge watched. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to, this one, I'm not going to stump you on this one. Uh, this one, this one be a solid one. Uh, what is bringing you joy lately? You know, I've, I'm reaching this age. I'm in my mid to late sixties. I'm, I'm reaching this age where I'm having, I have a grandchild coming next month. Um, first of all, I love being around my family. Of course, my kids, um, I just like going for a walk and 
listening to music. I don't always listen to podcasts, looking at the trees, looking at the dogs, watching people watch their dogs and just observing the wonder of the world. I mean, it sounds silly, but that inspires me. It doesn't sound silly at all. It sounds great. Well, Josh, I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Uh, and, and just even outside of this podcast, I appreciate the work that you continue to do to elevate the field. So thank you for all your contributions. Uh, I'm grateful, obviously, for spending time on this podcast, but very grateful for your work outside of it as well. So keep making us better. And uh, thanks again for your time. Thank you, Lars. Thank you for what you do also. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Redefining Work. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, and more, be sure to check out amplifytalent.com slash podcast. And if you dig this podcast, I strongly encourage you to share it with your CEO, leadership team, and friends to help others discover it. And if you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever your preferred podcast delivery vehicle is. We'll see you next episode.